Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Schmozone Podcast, episode 22. I'm Dave Schmolenson, a.k.a. the Schmo. My co-host is... Helen Sports, And we have two special guests today. The number three UFC-ranked Bantamweight in the world, Aspen Ladd, and her partner, her head coach, her boyfriend. <laughs> we can't do labels. Jim West. Thanks for joining the show today, guys. Thanks for having us. <laughs> that works. Aspen, you were saying you don't really like labels before we started, so was that okay for an introduction? Hey, that works. Like, I just don't feel like... I hate the word boyfriend, okay? It just sounds inappropriate, and man friend doesn't work. I mean, <laughs> this is my guy. This is your human. Yes, my human. It's your human. Uh, when did you guys start... Uh, I don't want to use the word official, but when did he become your human? Uh, <laughs> I don't think I'm just going to laugh the rest I, I don't the time. even... Re- it's been so long. <clears throat> it was around her... Yeah. First professional fight. It was sometime around yeah. her first, yeah, when she fought for Invicta in her debut. It was right around We've that We've been time. together quite a while. About five, six years. Yeah. 2015. Is that when it was? Yeah, February. I okay. should remember that. Good job. I <laughs> yeah. So you weren't technically uh, 21 yet. Can't legally no. drink when this all started. It doesn't matter. I don't legally drink now. Have you ever? No. You've never had a sip of alcohol in your life? Nope. Personal preference. Like, I don't care if anybody else does. Well, that's a lie. Okay, because, like, in my general zone, like, if it's my spot, like, okay, no booze here. But everywhere else, I don't care. So, uh, do you think you'll ever taste alcohol in your entire life? (laughs) It's just something, it doesn't serve a purpose. And I'm very purpose-oriented in everything that I do or try to do. So, honestly, no, I don't need to go spend money on something that messes my perception of life and reality. I just don't want to. But don't you think somebody could go in there and convince you one way or another? Like, maybe it's an accident. I remember I went to college. I never thought I would smoke cigarettes. And literally the first day of college, I get drunk. I smoke cig- a cigarette. And I'm like, oh, shit. Uh, there it goes. Not that I smoke cigarettes uh, ever. Yeah. But, you know, like, that happened. It was kind of like an accident. So don't you think that would happen to you? I really don't. I, th- I think I'm a little bit uh, stubborn as far as certain things go. <laughs> but that's great. I respect that. You're not easily influenced. No. Thank you. She's just stubborn. You're about to say a different word. <laughs> Fortunately, I don't drink either, so it kind of works. So it, it's yeah. That was random, by the way. It wasn't planned. It's like, no. found out later. Yeah, I'm not a drinker. Not a drinker yeah. at all. Yeah. Any vices, then? Everybody has a vice. <laughs> you look so hopeful. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I can't really... Sugar? Oh my I guess. gosh. I don't know. No, candy cigarettes. That's my favorite thing candy on the planet c- is candy cigarettes. The little sticks. They look like the little fun dip sticks. Yeah. But they look oh, like, like a cigarette. Oh, like a pixie stick? 
um, you know the fun dip? A fun dip was oh, amazing. Yeah. You know the little Those sticks that are in there? Yes. So it's kind of like that, but it's it's in the shape of a cigarette and it's she calls it chalk. If you mix chalk and sugar <laughs> and you ate it, that's what it tastes like. That's my definite advice. I can go to the store and buy a carton of fifty pack carton of candy cigarettes and just go to town. Yeah, Damn. It's, it's all bad though after <laughs> Man, I thought <laughs> Helen's ice cream habits were bad. <laughs> don't look in the freezer. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I don't feel as bad now because David sometimes is like trying to, remember we've talked about this, like pressure me into, oh, take this edible or whatever. And I'm like, uh, I yeah. just, I, I won't do that. Like, And now <clears throat> I don't feel bad for not being easily influenced because I'm kind of the same way where, you know, I feel like, why do you want to take something to kind of alter your reality when, you know, I, I like to just focus on yeah. what's going on now? I, I mean, I completely understand completely. Well, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you both ends of the spectrum on that. <laughs> like, I understand what it's like, like as like a triathlete or endurance athlete, like the runner's high and that mm -hmm. kind of component, which you probably get from doing like eight plus mile hikes in nature and stuff of that. And then, uh, Allowing yourself as a type A personality to take an edible or smoke a joint and just relax and become a beta for a couple hours finally in the day and just let go, creatively think and flow. And of course, the first time you do it, it sucks. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, finally, after doing it a couple different times, like you just open your mind to something new. The funny thing about the edibles, though, is so her teammates, Anthony Hernandez and Max Griffin, the every time we're together when they fight their whole purpose in life it seems to be fight week besides the fight part is to somehow get me high <laughs> uh, edible something and they're always trying to sneak me something and um, and aspen's like the protector she's like that's all right I'll, you know I'll, I'll protect you i won't let anything happen i'm like i'm not taking that if i take i swear to god i'll see aliens or some shit. i don't know <laughs> but that's the run every single time they fight every time we see them in the gym it's always they're trying to plot somehow to get me high. And Aspen has to protect me because I'm afraid I'll like see some aliens or something. I don't so know. you've never gotten high before? Nope. No. That's but their crazy. whole thing ever, every time they fight, and Aspen can attest to it, is always, we got to get, well, we got to figure out a, how normal. to get Jim high somehow. At this point, it's normal for everybody to smoke and do all that. And that's totally fine. It's cool, but it's also cool not to. It's like, there's no preference. I totally. I'm not against it. I just never had a thought about doing it i don't know you guys would appreciate this because of the human reference but wasn't it a couple of weeks ago where the uh ufos were declassified by the pentagon and uh the cia and all the different intelligences i figure you probably have some thought on this even though you've never taken uh smoked or used edibles or marijuana you probably still have some deep thoughts on this right yeah uh, yeah i think it was president trump right he came out he said something on twitter about declassifying some of that stuff I think there's aliens anyway, so I don't need to. I don't need to have the edible to see them. I I, I believe in them anyway, so yeah. I, I think it's kind of cool that that a little bit of information has come out, kind of relative to that. What the hell do they think about us right now, right here? Like, what, 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 what's going through? They're probably just sitting there thinking we could really fuck these people up if we wanted to, <laughs> you know? Like, if they can get here somehow, they're they're gonna beat us, <laughs> so. I don't think they care to. We're probably the slum. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. True. I saw on your Instagram you like a, a lot of plants, right? Love it. I, I know. I yeah. love that. And I feel like obviously now with you know the summertime, it's coming. It's like a great time to plant and do everything. 
It is like it's been hard because I I keep a lot of potted plants. I keep mm-hmm. seeds, all kinds of stuff, and I have for years. And I I like to grow things. It's just fun. But yeah, this year I haven't been able to do like an in ground vegetable garden because I'm moving. So it where, is. Where are you moving to? So it's called um, Pollock Pine. I'm currently in Pioneer, so it's like Northern California. And this is Pollock Pines, which is also Northern California. It's like we have two highways that run parallel to each other, 88 and 50. I'm basically jumping over to the other highway off of it. But yeah, so couldn't plant in ground this year. So a little less stuff and it bugs me. But next year it's going to be a glorious vegetable garden. Well, tell them so tell awesome. them where you're moving and have, why. why what, what, what's happening? I could. Well, I uh, bought my first home. Congratulations. Congratulations. That is so awesome. Thank you. And it's exciting. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but how was that process like? You know, to buy a home, like, was it a really long process for you? Oh, God, it's stressful. So um, everything that you do as far as, like, a loan and other things, it takes time. It takes effort, especially, like, a first-time buyer. And if you're going in it as just just a woman, you're just going to go do your own thing kind of thing without too long of a history. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of time. But I eventually got approved. It actually happened the day before I ended up getting injured. So, uh yeah, we closed. We closed that day, and I got approved. I think like the week before, but it everything works out, and it eventually, after a lot of effort, worked out with the house. For such a killer, you have the softest, softest voice, like perfect for radio or podcasting. It. I'm sure you've gotten that before. No, no. Very soft-spoken voice, really good for audio. I'm sure the listeners and the watchers will appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> That's a compliment, Aspen. It is a compliment. You can take it. As two awkward, socially shy people growing up, we're on the same wavelength. Hey, three, for three, right here. We're Helen too. Wow. We all. Jim, really what about well. you? Oh yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't describe me as Life an is introvert. A no, I wouldn't. But I, but I'm not, not like a super outgoing. I mean, if you get me to talk, I'll talk. But I'm not like Aspen, where she, you know, she's very introverted, but. So I'm, I would say kind of in the middle. No. I'd agree with that. But did I see in an interview that you kind of got into MMA because you were shy? Yes. So that is so awesome. Yeah, I just shy kid that needed something to do, and I ended up in an MMA gym. So and from there, just evolved. I knew I wanted to do it, and I stuck with it. But when did you know that you could do this for a living and turn pro? That was the hard thing. When I first started, that was before when we were in the UFC. I think that was baby days in Invicta. Invicta might not have been around yet. So when I finally started to look, it's like, okay, I love this. This is going to be my hobby on the side of a job that I have to have. So I got to figure out what the job's going to be. Um, but as time went on and I progressed in my career, and then things started happening with the UFC, Ronda Rousey got in, women fighters started getting in. It's like, oh my gosh, I can make a living at this. So that's kind of when it developed into from, okay, this is going to be my hobby because I love it on the side of whatever I ended up doing too. This is going to be what I do. Was Rhonda, you just brought up her name, kind of your inspiration? Or is there someone specifically that you looked up to that wasn't Rhonda Rousey? No, she was the catalyst for basically knowing that I could do this for a career. So like any, like she'll get, um, people will talk crap on her a lot Yeah, and they shouldn't. Not a single one of them should, because as far as the females, not a, one of us would be here if she hadn't been here first. So you got to appreciate things like that. She was the catalyst for all of us being here and be able to make a very good living. So I appreciate that. 
So does that mean you could potentially segue into WWE after your MMA career? <laughs> Somebody asked me that um, recently, and it's kind of like uh, I, I wouldn't have seen myself sitting here doing an interview and not being frozen in fear like eight years back. <laughs> but that kind of thing, if they were to offer, and it looked like a good, don't get me wrong, I love fighting, I love the real stuff, but you can't say no until you eventually come across something, you know? Are you? Does that mean like you're more terrified for the post-fight interview after you get your hand raised in the octagon? Like, does all of a sudden you get like a fear that comes across you? Shoot, I have to be in front of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people and talk and answer questions. Not anymore. So weird enough, the crowds have never bothered me when I fight, ever. But the interviews, those are terrifying. Even like <laughs> as a baby pro. But I've gotten over it at this point. I don't understand. We're all humans. We all put our pants on one leg at a time. And you of all people should understand that. That was actually a very interesting reference to why we're all human. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just weird, I guess. Of course. But your, your interview with the schmo is great. <laughs> yeah, it's a learned skill, though. So it's True. like anything else. It's like you, you practice every day. I've done this a lot, and I've had many fights, many interviews, many media experiences at this point. So it's something that I've learned to do. Definitely doesn't come natural. So, yeah. Oh, I was going to say you're doing a great job. Thank you. Jim wanted to ask you a question because sure. obviously you've been training with fighters and, mm -hmm. you know, she rolled into the gym and into your life yeah. a few years back. Um, kind of when when did you know uh, that uh, this would be your person and when did you see something special? <laughs> You're human. human. Yeah. And when did you see something special in her as a fighter to take her on and uh, work with her and go through this journey? Yeah, you know what? Um, when she walked in, I remember exactly, you know, what year that was. When she walked into the gym, I remember telling uh, Dave Hirschbein, her manager. Um, well, at the time, he wasn't her manager, but he was managing other fighters within our gym. Um, you know, you got to check out this girl. I, there's, there's something, there's something different. You know, um, not just your your average like, yeah, they look tough, or yeah, they got some skill, or so on and so forth. There's just something different. There's something special about it. Um, and at the time, she wasn't really training with our team. She was doing judo, I think, with uh, the Sacramento Judo Club um, for a little bit. And I just noticed her in, in training and just kind of watched and kind of see how she was reacting to a lot of things. And that one day after about three or four months of her being in there, I, I went up to her and her brother, um, her older, younger brother, Trevor. Um, they were training. And I said, hey, you know, you guys should probably come over to the MMA side of things. And um, they're like, oh, yeah, all right, all right. So they... They were there the next day, two hours early, I think, at that at that point. Aspen would show up ungodly hours early to do whatever that she was doing at the beginning, but her and her brother training on their own. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things that I noticed when the one of the very first um, days that we actually started to spar, um, she, she had never done any striking whatsoever for the most part prior to getting in to MMA, a little bit of grappling, obviously a little bit of judo. Um, and she just got smashed pretty bad. And, but it was one of those things where you just know that there's a different type of animal inside. And it happened. She walked to the bathroom, kind of cleaned her face off because it was pretty busted up. And it was like, let's keep going. And it was kind of at that moment, and I remember one of our uh, 
guys that have been training with us for a long time, Dylan Moore, and he come up he come up to me after they got done training and, and then grappling at that at the very end and he goes, Who what is this thing? Referring to Aspen and um from that moment on it was kind of a you know, um it it it's been extremely fun, you know, kind of taking that um that different level of kind of just will. Um and from someone that you didn't necessarily expect it from, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to profile her, I guess, or stereotype, but just, I didn't expect it. And, and it's a real thing. Um, and we just, we continue to build that kind of that bond as, as, as coach and athlete with, uh, myself or boxing coach, my guy who's been with her forever. Um, and, uh, we just continue to kind of progress together in the, 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 uh, the human, the favorite human part of it, that didn't take place until, you know, several years after uh, we had been training. Like uh, Helen said, somewhere around 2015, around her first pro fight. Um, but it was just her, the, the mental part of being an athlete she had from such a young age, which is not common, right? Um, was not distracted by anything. It didn't matter what it was, um, whether it was friends or other teammates or even family functions. I mean, it, it was, nope, I'm, I got to be at training at this time. I have to do this. I have to do that. And it wasn't because she was being forced. It was because she truly wanted, wanted where to get to where she's at now. And, and the, the thing that, that separates her even further often t- is the fact that even today in me being, you know, her, <laughs> her human, she still will ask me to this day, can we work one-on-one? Can, will you work with me today? Will you, can you give me some extra time today? Um, it, it, that's not, that, that's not something that is, is common per se. I mean, like I said, it's, it's nothing's ever expected by her. So the, the humble kind of who she is, is really truly who she is. She's still, you know, when people ask, oh my God, there's Aspen Ladd over there or whatever. She's like, I, I'm just, just like you, you know, I'm just, I, I just work for it, you know, type of thing. And I think that's what separates her. And I think that's what a lot of people are, can be attracted to is, is just the fact that she just, she doesn't come off as any, you would never know anything about it. And other than when the cage door closes, I'm telling you what, if I'm a female, I don't want her grabbing a hold of me because uh, it's, her ability to do things is is very very good. But Aspen, when did you start having that competitiveness and that mindset? Were you always like that even prior to getting into MMA? And to pick up on that, where does that come from? What Jim's saying, and where does that instinct mm-hmm. come from? That you have that killer instinct, that um, drive. As far as that goes, I think it's just something certain people are born with, and it's not just an MMA thing. It's just a, I think it's more of an athletic and a life thing. It's your desire and your drive and your will to do something above everything else. It's prioritizing that thing above what you kind of want to do right now, but knowing you got a goal in the end. Um, I've just always been that way. I would call myself obsessive in certain ways as a kid. Um, Just if I wanted something or wanted to do something, that was all that matters. And I'm still that way. I've just learned to control my tendencies better. Very focused. Yes, and it serves a really good purpose in what I do it could be problematic if I maybe I didn't find MMA who knows too obsessive about certain things to piggyback off what Jim mentioned as well like 
you know, when you were first in the gym and, you know, when he mentioned your striking and stuff, like what was going through your mind when, you know, those experiences were happening? Um, I, I, It's hard to think back that far. It's like people ask me in a fight, like, hey, you did this. You remember? Yeah. I don't remember anything. <laughs> I remember like maybe two moments and that's about it. Um, but mostly it's just <laughs> failing and always saying, okay, I got to do better. I got to come back and do better next time. I remember thinking that a lot. I do remember taking a several very good beatings for, well, not several, it's years worth, but that's what we all do. And uh, just getting better, but no desire to quit, more just being pissed off, for lack of a better term, of and wanting to catch up, wanting to do well, and just learn what I was not good at. So this, I guess, is an open-ended question for both of you. Where does the separation come into play for the coach relationship and the personal intimate relationship? He's better at that than I am. I am more emotional in certain ways. It's like, okay, if you're being a butthole in coach mode, then I just don't want to deal with you after. <laughs> he can separate better than I can. <laughs> I would agree. When I, I, I <laughs> you know, because I know how important I'm, I'm, and, and this may come out the wrong way, but Aspen's first thing that she wanted more than anything in life was to be successful in MMA, right? So I'm second to that, right? To an, to an extent, right? So I know when I come into practice, I'm second to her career. The boyfriend of me is second. So I have to be the, the best possible coach that I can and leader to try to put her in the right um, lanes to continue to be successful, right? And then I can, because of that, I can be kind of a dick, right, at certain times. But it's not out of um, frustration towards her or anything like that. It's just I become, I've, I have become so vigilant and um, dedicated to the fact that that's what Aspen's number one priority is. And the last thing I want to do is ever affect that. So so I have to be able to separate that the moment that, that I step into the gym. And because of that, sometimes I can come across as a dick because at the moment I'm not looking at Aspen as, uh, as she calls as her favorite human, right? I'm not, I don't look at her as that. I'm looking at, I need to prepare her the best possible way I can for whomever we're getting ready to fight next. And, and that's an everyday thing. And then once practice is over and things start to tone down, then the boyfriend part of me starts to come out. I do want to say one quick side note. I just remembered this. When we were in Washington, D.C. Yeah. for that fight card, great victory back then, the last time you were in the Octagon, you were adamant that GDR was going to beat Amanda Nunes. She I was, didn't. <laughs> she did not, but let's let's talk about it. It was much closer than most people thought it was going to be, and I did say that GDR was going to clip her on the feet, and she did many times. Amanda is the greatest female fighter on the planet at the moment and no one can take that away from her but at the same time she did not go five rounds because she wanted to show the world she had good cardio she did not wrestle because she wanted to show the world that she could wrestle she had to wrestle. she had to wrestle because gdr was piecing her up on her feet period end of story so that that's not to take away from anything but that's just the truth and i would have done the same thing Right, I, I mean that's what our plan was when we went into GDR as well, because if Aspen would have gotten GDR on the mat, GDR would not have gotten up, and that fight would have been over within a minute. I promise you. 
Girls don't get up off the mat when Aspen gets on top. And I know that you went to Folsom Lake College. What did you study there? For a little while. I was just doing general ed at the time. That was mm-hmm. right when I eventually, I was getting going pro at the time, and I was struggling because I'm a very A-type, straight A's kind of person. But I'm also, I get to practice every single practice kind of person. And so I was burning both ends there trying to do both. And it was actually my grandpa was like, came up to me and was like, you got a shelf life on this one and you're doing very well. I think you need to step back from the schooling. You can come back to that and go fight, basically. Put all your attention towards that. So uh, I did. It's pretty amazing to me because I think in the American culture, everyone pushes four-year uh, university, four-year university, and so many kids are stuck in, in accruing college debt. <clears throat> and then they have to live with that for years and years and yeah. years. And they have this degree and they have no idea what to do with that. Yeah. Oh. It's like... It's almost like why go, I'm not saying don't go to college. Sure. Obviously it adds value, but it only really truly adds value if you know what you're going to do with that. Right. So why not do and take the time to find the things that you absolutely love to do or don't yeah. love to do and just go with it. And because literally there is no straight and narrow path. There's no one who's going to live your life for you. So there's so much respect. And even from someone like your grandfather who gave you that wisdom, uh, you know, we don't have enough of that in this country. No, I think people really confuse um, basically intellect and intelligence with education. It's not the same thing. And uh, cookie cutter molds, basically going to school for the same thing. All of us get a degree in this, get a degree in that, and then go do this job. Half the people, more than half, will be miserable anyway. They don't know who they are. No kid knows who they are as far as that goes. So I, I agree with you in certain ways. Certain ways. Certain ways, yes. Uh, what do you what disagree with? Uh, besides the marijuana thing. <laughs> I'm waiting to find out more. As yes. Yeah, but yeah, too many people to piggyback off that note. Just do the nine to fives because everybody else is and they're literally working for the weekend. They're miserable. Yeah. And they're afraid, right? To they're think afraid. outside the box and to take a risk. Yeah. yeah. Anything in life worth doing, it's going to come at a cost. You're going to have to experience failures to experience successes. Yeah. And, uh, that's just the way it's going to go. You're going to have to make sacrifices to get what you truly want and do whatever it takes if it's worth getting. Absolutely. But your grandpa, he also got you into nature, right? Yeah, he started taking me hiking when I was about five. Um, and I just never stopped after that. But he's the one that started me, like uh, taking me up to the hills, taking me out hiking with him. And I grew up doing that. And that's really what started me on the path that I am now. How many dogs do you have? Oh gosh, currently only two, unfortunately. My baby passed away back in March. It was hard. Um, yeah, so two right now. Yeah, dogs are the best uh best animals, best pets in the entire world. Oh yeah, that's my cardio buddy, that's my gym partner. Like they don't care. It's like, what are you doing? You sleeping? Great, let's go sleep. How the hell are you gonna live these next couple of weeks, couple of months when you can't do those excessive hikes that you love and, and really do those nature uh, walks? It's gonna be rough, really rough. I, I don't see her stopping. Well, I was about to say. I don't see it. Some of the more extreme things I definitely won't be doing, but as long as I'm braced up and the doctor says, hey, you can move in a pretty straight line, I'll still be out there. <laughs> What's the end goal for you in MMA? Obviously you want to be the best, the best you. You want a gold strap. What What do you want your legacy? What do you want your life to be uh, most known for? 
you know, that's a pretty, that's a pretty deep question. Why not? I was thinking about it the other day because I saw, um, I, remember, I think I was watching the fights, yeah. And they were listing all time streaks. Like, this guy's fought in the UFC this many times, this guy this many times. And there's uh, like 20-something, all of them. It's like, wow, it'd be cool to be one of the chicks up there as the most fights in the UFC ever. Whether I end up fighting for the title, which I'm sure will happen eventually. But I would like to just be in the sport for a long time. And maybe 10 years from now, look at it like, hey, that chick fought 40 times. <laughs> Perfect. You concerned at all about uh, brain damage, CT, any of those conversations you guys ever have or any those fears? It's not something I think too deeply on. And I think um, with the women in the sport, we're a little bit safer as far as that goes. There hasn't been as many um, brain damage type wars. It does happen. I've had a couple of them. Um, but it's not like it was 20 years ago where every single one was just a brawl. Then I think, I think uh, training is different. Much different. You know, we don't uh, like with us. We spar one day a week. That's it. Yeah. And then there's times where she won't even spar at all, like for a couple weeks. So Especially I think after a fight. you know, ten, fifteen years ago, like she said, we that's all guys did. It's forty guys would walk in a room and just beat the hell out of each other. So you'd have, you know, yeah, you might have twenty fights on paper, but you had a hundred fights in the gym, you know, and that adds up real quick. Basically, we're careful. <clears throat> Do you guys feel that women are treated equal as men in this sport? <laughs> I think it depends on the thing. I think we're very well treated as far as pay, um, the opportunity to fight, everything. And I've seen some better stoppages recently, so there's that. Um, I think we're treated pretty equally. Anything you... to add to that? <laughs> no. I mean, I yeah, I, I think I would agree with what she said. I mean, it. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I don't really, I, you can't really, it, it's hard, even if there wasn't equal treatment, it'd be hard to tell, you know what I mean? It's not even, it'd be, I don't know how you would tell that, you know. I'm treated very, I'm treated very well yeah, by the UFC and I'm very well. happy. And that's the, most important. Yeah, yeah, the sport is such in its infancy, like the UFC is, what, they're barely approaching a decade of having women in the UFC, <laughs> yeah. and the sport itself, it hasn't really even been around for three decades, and it's evolving it, uh, so much. You watch a UFC fight from five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it's completely different. Yeah. And just look at the strategies. Now look what all the fighters are doing now. They are attacking uh, the legs with those the calf, calf kicks. kicks. That's the new thing right now. Yeah. It definitely is at the moment. Like you always see a new technique pop out here and there, but that's the one right now. That's got to scare the shit out of you after just tearing up your MCL and ACL for when you return. <laughs> um, yeah, getting getting nailed in it right at the moment, but by the time I go back, I'll be solid. So no fear for that. And then hopefully maybe there's a different fat or maybe there's just a way to check it. I mean, yeah. what, Jim, what would you do to, to combat I think, this strategy? I think you just hit the nail on the head, though. I think it's it's more of a fad thing because calf kicks, you know, in Muay Thai have been around forever. I think it's just one of those things that's just all of a sudden started to get utilized much more in MMA. And then people seeing the effects of it, and it's like, oh. They're, they're, they're super hard to to defend i mean especially if someone's throwing them real quick like if you're using like a justin gaethje for example or something like that um that you can't really catch them right it's not like a body kick or or, or you know when they kick into the thigh or something um it, you know you have to try to you have to try to check it you know the best you can by turning out but at, at the same time you know i mean you, you can't really step into it because it's you, you it's on a nerve so it's it's you got to be really good at judging your distance um, 
and either getting really, really inside to kind of smother the kick or really outside. But then, you know, it, it's a very difficult thing to, to stop, um, especially when it's a really fast, good one. They can get it back real quick. Yeah, I don't, I, that's a difficult one. But you mentioned <clears throat> Justin Gaethje, so I have to ask you. Uh, what, he's awesome. Yeah, what do you think of Justin Gaethje versus Habib? I, I've said from the very beginning, and Aspen can tell you, and I, I'm hoping I'm right, but I've always said that Justin Gaethje was going to be Khabib's kryptonite from the very beginning. Um, we'll see, obviously, in what, July? Is it July? No, no. maybe in Se- the fall. September? Yeah, yeah September, September, but there's no yeah. final date. Okay. But why? Um, I think a lot of people underestimate, one, Justin's MMA IQ. Yeah, he's he's can be chaotic and all those different types of things, but but his chaotic is is controlled to an extent. And, and you've seen uh, it become more controlled over time and most evident in his last fight, right? Um, his scramble ability, his ability to understand distance, especially against someone like Khabib, who he knows is going to do essentially one thing. Um, calf kicks will become a very, very big thing in that fight because, like, he's not Khabib's not going to catch him. They're super fast, um, and Justin is just very good with his distance and knowing um, how to utilize those types of things. And and lastly. Everyone forgets the guy was a national champ, uh, you know, wrestler, a, a yeah. two-time All-American. He doesn't shoot. Division, he doesn't Will do he ever. shoot against Habib? Yeah, I, I don't see it happening, but you never know. I just, I just think all of those things combined, um, and the one thing that you can't teach that he has that only several people have in the UFC is the absolute will and desire to win. That guy will do absolutely anything in that cage to win, um, and I, I just. I just think his MMA IQ, uh, his his connection with his coach and their ability to um, develop proper game plans, um, and, I, and I think all of those things combined will just be too much for Khabib. What do you think, Aspen? I think out of everybody that he's faced, that Justin definitely has the best shot at it. His heart's amazing, and he has um, improved so much recently. Not improved in his skill set, but improved in his ability to use it and utilize it in the cage, as made very evident by his last fight. I would like to see him win. A lot of people have been uh, talking about the cage size. Uh, I think it's uh, 25 feet here, 25 feet instead of 30 here at the apex. Uh, does that play into mind for you guys? Do you think there's a, a substantial difference between the different cage sizes when you have two fighters in there? I think it depends. It depends on if it's a striker or a grappler. Like for me, I was excited about it because that fight's going to be a grapple fest anyway. Mm-hmm. So just get to it sooner kind of thing. But I imagine if you're a rangy distance type fighter, it might be a little different. Like Volkov uh, against Blades uh, yes. the other week. You know, yeah. uh, close the distance, Blades the wrestler a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, but also though, uh, you, as uh, you can get use the cage and get back to your feet quicker too from the other end of it. Yeah. So that's why I mean I've heard I've heard both <clears throat> sides. I'm listening to both sides. That's why I like to ask. I I, I was there last weekend because Mari and Renault fought. Um, so I was in, I've been in Marion's corner for quite some time, and it is it, it is much smaller um, comparative to that 30 foot cage. You, if you're in the center of the cage, you're basically looking at three steps back, and you're you're on the back. Your your yeah. back is against the cage. Um, I think it's more exciting. I mean, it, it 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 forces you to have to use 
smaller angles and make quicker decisions um, at different times, depending on you know who you're fighting and so forth. Um, I, I haven't heard a fighter yet say that they disliked it. Um, I, I, I like it. I, I liked it. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, you're going to get varying opinions, but I haven't heard a fighter yet in the, ho in the hotel. I know after the fights, everyone was talking about how they liked it. Um, maybe you guys have heard something different, but. Did you like not having a crowd and not having fans? Um, I don't know. I, for me, you know, because I'm not fighting, it, does, it, it doesn't really probably affect, you know, affect, it affects that much more. Um, I liked it in the aspect that I knew for a fact they could hear me um, during the fight, but then at the same time soak in their corner. Um, but I, I liked it in that aspect. And once the fight was happening, I didn't really realize that there wasn't a crowd there. Um, but at the walkout is all, is a little bit weird because you're usually, you know, people are yelling at you and trying to high five you or either talking crap to you or something. Um, so in that aspect, it was very different. Um, but I did like the, the being able to communicate easier clay guida couldn't get his rock concert <laughs> <laughs> that's what i noticed too <laughs> yeah um, he yeah, got yeah, slapped true. though right he did yeah. get slapped like yeah 10 times or something yeah it was crazy. bigger bigger older brother i mean <laughs> yeah. that that that's got to feel yeah. nice right before a fight uh helen and i were talking about this earlier today actually because we just had uh john anik on uh last week for our podcast and he brought up steep a versus dc3 because you know uh, he does the yeah. broadcast with dc um this is probably the best grudge match in MMA yeah. history. And John had said on the podcast, too, like, the winner of this is the greatest heavyweight of all time. And then we were just sitting there thinking, wait, maybe, but, like, you can't take away from all of the top heavyweights that Stipe's fought already. And, sure. and DC, obviously, I think he's... His only loss, I guess, at heavyweight would be Stipe in the last fight, last in August. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he still made his headways and made his career in the light heavyweight division. Yeah. Uh, I find <clears throat> it fascinating because they're going to do it over the apex. It's going to be a smaller cage. And why I think this is the best grudge match of all time, it's because literally the first fight, you know, DC clipped him. He outsmarted yeah. him in a way, and he got him with that great shot. Um, and then the second fight, you know, DC came out strong. He was beating him. And then when in the later rounds when Stipe went to the body Sorry, and it, he got that yeah. TKO and he made the adjustment, this is the perfect, yeah. perfect grudge match. How do you see it going down in the smaller cage for the time? I think the smaller cage will benefit DC. Um, but I think for, and I'm making a total guess. I Like I said, I think the cage itself will, will benefit DC, but I, I, I believe Stipe has figured something out against DC, and I think I, I think a similar result is going to happen, and and Stipe will end up winning again. Aspen, <laughs> um, that, those are a couple of very big, very scary men. <laughs> um, yeah. Every time I talk to DC, he's been super nice, just on a human aspect. So I hope the best for him. But DC's also he's a great guy to watch. I'm going to enjoy watching the fight. Oh yeah. Uh, last August, quick side note, funny story. Um, a strong style MMA, uh, that's where uh, Stipe trains. His yeah. head coach um, thought I was actually his manager, Jim. Um, and he went behind me and just gave me a nice liver shot right right there. Just, you know, it's just a playful thing. Yeah. And I just remember turning around because, you know, sucks a little wind out of you. I'm like, yeah. holy shit, what, what the hell just <laughs> happened? What, what he just, and he turns around and he's like, oh shit, I thought you were Jim. I thought you were Jim. I'm like, 
Uh, okay. It's all good. Yeah. It's all good, coach. Yeah. Just uh, make sure I get that Stipe interview. And I did, so I was okay with go. that. But it was pretty funny. Was They're both great guys, though. I mean, I like Aspen said, I, DC's awesome. He's an awesome man. Um, so is Stipe. I just, I have to make a prediction, so I'm just saying Stipe will win. David, I think we should make the recurring uh, theme question. You know what I'm talking about? No, no, no. I don't, I'm not following. The Mount Rushmore. Oh, the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, that's just because it's hot. Uh, Mount Rushmore. What's your Mount Rushmore? Your four of uh, MMA fighters all time. My favorite fights that I've ever watched. Fighters. 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 Oh gosh. And actually, you know what? How about you give us your favorite fights you've ever watched afterwards? Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if I remember all of them. Um. Okay. So, favorite fighters. Period. To watch. You have to put their heads up. Their, oh gosh, their, their I'm faces th- I'm, that's Rushmore. why I'm thinking about it. I'm not sure. I'm not even sure. <laughs> Justin Gaethje, you know. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You're a big okay. fan of his. Oh yeah, Gaethje, Ferguson, Holloway, and oh, the last one's hard. Probably Joanna. This is your Mount Rushmore of favorite fighters or greatest fighters. Favorite fighters to watch fight. Okay, that's fair. Not like my favorite humans, because I've yeah. met a lot of people. There's a lot of very kind people. These are just some of my favorite people to watch fight, because when they fight, they bring it. The Joanna Wiley fight was the greatest female fight I've ever seen in my I, life. I yes. think that was the greatest MMA fight, period, that I've ever seen. I think I, it was like top three. I, I accept that. Yeah, yeah. top three, yeah. if it's yeah. not the greatest. Yeah. Um, but it was easy to say greatest female fight, because oh, we just easy. haven't seen it. By far. Yeah. By far yeah. the greatest female fight. But Amazing. I still think it's the greatest fight I've ever seen MMA-wise. They were so technical. Like, the entire time, the cardio, technically, Neither it was gave an inch. It awesome. Was, it was amazing. Awesome. Amazing. Yeah. I love uh, that first round when it was uh, Tony Ferguson and Anthony Pettis. That first round, do you remember that? A few, a couple of years ago, I, they ended up stopping the fight. Ferguson won because I think Pettis uh, broke his hand. His hand, yeah. After and he couldn't. The I think I kind of remember. I love that. That was so much action. I, I go I, to me. That was like the greatest round. It was of pretty. MMA. Wasn't it bloody? It was bloody. It's pretty bloody, right? It's bloody. Oh, okay. Most of his yeah. fights are bloody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you remember, I think there's a lot of blood. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, I love that fight. Uh, I, but for, from one round, that was like the most action pack I remember seeing in an MMA fight in a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, that one stands out. But yeah, you yeah. can't overlook that female fight right there with uh, Wiley and Joanna. I've probably watched that fight about 20 times just because I'm. <laughs> and, I, and I could probably, you know. You, know everything about it at this point but it's just so uh, it's just great that was the first live fight uh helen's parents saw oh we took them there yeah wow what a treat we left (laughs) our media section to sit in the crowd with her parents oh nice well because they're from china so right they really you know support her and stuff sure and it was fun interviewing her in mandarin something different yeah, yeah 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 wow trying to trying to encourage her to do more uh mandarin interviews do you know mandarin no, I don't know anything. Other I try than to teach him. I know Come two on. languages, Shmo and English. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's so you guys your work cut out for you. Yeah, I, know. I, I, I have to learn. I have to learn. Do you speak any other languages? No. I don't. No. Unfortunately, I don't. Yeah. High school Spanish didn't help me out at all. Same. You don't use I it, you lose it. I took two years. I studied yeah. Spanish for six years, and Another? I was really, really good at it. And I'm oh, okay. sure if I'm like, in the environment for two, three weeks, I could pick it up again. But sure. 
If you don't use it, you lose yeah, it with no, anything too. It's very true. You know, yeah. you can't just pick it up. Like if you're not on the mats for for six years, I mean, sure, there's some muscle memory there, but you're yeah. you're gonna get outworked. Yeah, you, you don't fight right after that. No, so you don't, don't do anything you don't, important. You don't no. make that up. Um, so if you were not an MMA fighter and you were not an MMA coach, what would you be doing? What could you be doing? What what's one fantasy thing that you would love to be that you're not? Because everybody has those aspirations. Retired. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Not for fighting, no, I like that. I would have ended up doing something with the forestry service probably. But now I'm fighting. Is that like non profit, the forestry service? <clears throat> Are you talking about like a park ranger? Yeah. Okay. Oh that's cool. Okay, that, that's I cool. That, to totally see that. <laughs> I was into well, I am into anything nature wise, but um also any kind of like law enforcement type thing. I was very interested in it growing up and a couple classes in school. So, David else? too. Well, the, now the law. Well, yeah. I, if I went to law school and was doing the sports agent pathway, which was a dream at one point in time, uh, I figured when I'd retired, I'd be an FBI agent because I'm fascinated by that kind of stuff, fascinated by the crimes, the murders, and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. from the nature standpoint, I'm yeah. addicted. And I know you're a fan of this too. And uh, Nature is Metal, that's a great page. But oh, yeah. I love like watching animals in the wild kill each other i think like what i was drawn the battle you ever see the youtube video battle yeah. of the kruger battle of the kruger no. okay explain it oh my gosh the water buffalo okay there's Wait, little young water okay um i or, i don't want to get this mixed up i believe it was like a little water buffalo and there was a lion okay there's a herd and okay. there's a crocodile and it's the kruger national park in africa and this is like a seven minute video where this baby uh, water buffalo is getting attacked right by the water and then it's being dragged by the lions and then all of a sudden the crocodile's grabbing at it and it's a tug of war between the crocodile eating this little guy <laughs> and it's the lions and then it's back and forth and you're shocked that this thing is still alive. It's still squeaking. It's still going. It's it's why is the leg not popping off yet? Well, it's it's amazing. And then all of a sudden, like, bum -ba -dum, ba -ba -dum, the herd of the water buffalo come to the rescue and they fight the lion. It escapes the teeth. The thing gets out and it walks and it makes it out alive. I ruined it for you, but it's it's wow. amazing. It's one of the rare things you see. Holy shit, this thing survived. So, and it just it blows your mind. And it's walking and it's not limping too away. You know, you know what's odd Ooh. too is this one over here, Aspen. You'll wake up at like, I don't know, one in the morning. You know, you're half asleep. And she's watching like the 1984 murder mysteries of like this lady chopping I up some it. random that's, dude. That's and good. I look that's at her and I'm like, well, it's like, interesting. Um, I, I'm right here. And it doesn't like, matter where you are in the world. You don't need another channel. So you can always find like forensic files or ID discovery. Yes. What's with yeah. the murder all the time? I, I, like, what is this? If asked, I mean, I, I was I started watching that religiously when I was like 10, 11 years old. On Saturday nights, my parents would go out to dinner. Their date nights, I'd go pop myself on the couch and I would watch that stuff. And my <laughs> older brother, two years older, yeah. who works in law, was afraid of that stuff. And then after a couple of years, he all of a sudden started watching it. And he's addicted to it. And he watches it now more than me because i don't have enough time to watch that stuff anymore but it makes things very very predictable well, about human behavior at the beginning when i would hear this thing on i was a little bit like what's going on here and mind you i was i was in law enforcement for 10 years um i was a deputy and i did superior court investigations and i saw and did a lot of weird crazy things so the show itself doesn't do much for me but it was the beginning of 
what are you watching? What is you're really into this murder stuff here? <laughs> you psycho. <laughs> but but yeah. So it's it's kind of funny. That's like David. He's always trying to get me to watch like murder stuff, right? Or serial killer shows on Netflix. Oh, yeah. And I, and yeah, sometimes I'm like, wait, right before bed, I don't want to <laughs> yeah. have a nightmare. Helen, it's been a long time. That only <laughs> no, happened recently. like the first week of quarantine no. because there's nothing <laughs> else to do. <laughs> who, who was the guy? John Gacy or uh, John Wayne? John Gacy. Wayne Gacy. Wayne. I think uh, that home was like 20, 25 minutes away from where I grew up. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, John Wayne Gacy, yeah, serial killer. We just watched that guy blow himself up. Remember the caller? <laughs> she doesn't even know about Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, yeah. That, no, she yeah, ate people, right? Yeah, that oh, was yeah. like Milwaukee. That's a whole nother level. But uh, real quick, you brought that up with your law enforcement background. Yeah. Uh, you know, all this stuff right now, the anti-police and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, does more should law enforcement like be, do more BJJ? Should do more kind of <laughs> combat training? Like, should that be kind of a requirement? Because that's not the case. Yeah, I mean, to make a long story short, so when I was in law enforcement, I actually um, for a couple of years was teaching at the academy, and I would teach law of arrest and search and seizure and and some arrest control technique te techniques and things like that. Um, and it was always very disappointing that what they showed because. What they show, and mind you, I've been out of law enforcement for a while, so maybe some things have changed as far as what they're learning. Um, but at that time, I will just say it, it was an absolute joke as far as what they were being taught. I mean, it was it was basic stuff for like maybe someone who's a little bit passive aggressive, right? Not these violent you know criminals that are really truly resisting. Um, not effective. They're they by no means were we getting any real training that that would help in the street. Fortunately at the time I was, I had started doing jujitsu a few years, uh, into my law enforcement career. So, so I, you know, had some knowledge, uh, surrounding that, but absolutely. They, they should be learning, um, principles surrounding, uh, grappling uh, and restraining, uh, proper ways to, to do it. That, that keeps even the violent person who is resisting safe. Right and keeping themselves safe at the same time, because right now, they're you're, you're being basically being asked to run into a situation in which is extremely volatile, depending on what it is, with tools that you have, whether it's a taser, an asp, a gun, whatever those things are, but then you have no real tools to protect yourself once it becomes into that close space with someone, um, and then you're just reliant on trying to fight to the best of your ability, right? And that's not safe for you. It's not safe for the, the person that could possibly be apprehended. So 100%, there, there does need to be some reform relative to that. But that's not a bad thing. You know, you should have all the tools possible to, to you as a, as a law enforcement officer to, to protect yourself and protect those that you are supposed to be protecting, right? Um, you know, the violence against them and everything else, that is completely ridiculous um, and wrong. I mean, they're they're hired to do a job. And granted, no matter what job you do, um, I worked in law enforcement for 10 years and I worked with hundreds of other officers. And of those hundreds of officers that I actually knew, yes, there were some ones that shouldn't have been there. And in time, they weren't there. Um, and they got weeded out and they were held accountable to what they did based on use of force types of things. But that's not that's not the majority. It's not even close to the majority. Um, 
And it, it, it just boils down to those things. They, they need to be better trained. Um, and they, they should be held accountable based on what they did incorrect. Whatever they did incorrect, there should be a punishment associated to it. Um, and, and there is, um, but it's not something that I think, you know, the public is necessarily privy to. So when, when, when an officer gets, you know, reprimanded for something that they did inappropriate, it's not, it doesn't make headlines all the time, right? Obviously when you fire a weapon, it's going to, um, but yeah, absolutely. There, there, there does need to be some changes, but it, that's, that's the benefit of everyone. But do you think that the testing should be more strict? Well, here's the thing. When I went through, I went through, you go through voice stress analysis tests, you go through polygraph tests. I had to take, uh, two different MMI, MMPI exams, which is like a thousand questions, uh, psych exam. Um, then you had to sit in front of a psychologist and answer to those questions that you did. You have to take, go in front of another psychologist relative to carrying a weapon. So the testing is never going to truly weed out absolutely everyone, right? I mean, it's just, no matter what profession you're in, there's going to be a bad apple somewhere, right? It's just, you can't, get away from that part. But I, I will say the testing and the screening process, at least when I went through it, and I, I imagine they, they're trying to make it even even more strict, was pretty high level. I mean, you, it was about almost a year before I even got hired. And it was a year long worth of background checks. I mean, they went all the way back to my middle, my seventh grade English teacher they contacted to see what kind of kid I was in seventh grade in my English class. Mr. Avila, I still remember his name. I mean, so Mr. Rald is mine. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, I mean, they, they went back and it, it was a, a, a year process before I actually got into the academy and went through, went through everything. So the process of trying to weed out bad apples is definitely good. I would just say once they're going through the training, it, it needs to be more intense to, for, for everyone's sake, to keep everyone safe. Well said. Well said. Um, Aspen. You know, we've, we've put in a good amount of time in this podcast. Uh, any final thoughts for your uh, speedy recovery <laughs> and return to the octagon? If I'm really lucky, I'll be back in by the end of the year. And once I am, I just want to go. If you want to fight every month, perfect. Let's just do it. The end of 2020? That's yes, the target? I hope so. But I'll, I won't know for sure what's going on um, until Thursday. I'm meeting with the surgeon then, and I will know what my options are. But not in... Um, Abu Dhabi, you would want to fight. You want to fight here in Vegas. I would definitely. Prefer, okay, straight up, there's worse places in Abu Dhabi to fight. I've been to a couple of them. Like where? Honestly, what, like there's places. Um, there's certain states here where I don't want to fight. Oh, because of taxes. Oh yeah, because <laughs> of taxes. Really, really Makes bad, sense. and or because of judging. So, like uh, Texas, yeah. for example. Texas for that's, judging. That's really bad, and I don't. And I never ever want to fight in California again. Taxes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so you bad. You want to stick to Florida? You want to stick to, uh, I, I guess, yeah, Vegas here? Yeah. Yeah. You never want to go to New York either. I, yeah. I fought New York last year. It's painful. Um, <laughs> so besides that, if it's between those states and going across the world to Abu Dhabi and letting my eyeballs melt, I'm going to do that. The, it was 115 degrees with 100% humidity in Abu Dhabi. <gasps> You'd look outside, it's completely sunny. But the windows would be like it looked full like of it was water. Raining. It looked like it was raining because yeah. it was so humid. But it was painful. Uh, uh, you couldn't last 30 seconds. It was ridiculous. So we need like so SPF. 
Yeah, I, I need I need to figure out the turtleneck thing with the schmo, you know. People are nocturnal there too, and we didn't understand why there was nobody anywhere <laughs> until day, like no like three out. or four days in. The biggest advocates of Abu Dhabi right next to us. <laughs> Helen, yeah. final thoughts. By the way, look at this. Ben I, I've Aspen. been checking that out. That, yeah. is, that is a special shirt. Crushing watermelons, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, we're all looking forward to your return. We appreciate you guys coming on. It was fun to talk. And I mean, I love, you know, your mentality. I love your focus. And it's really inspiring and admirable. Thank you for having us. Of course. Thanks. Anything to plug? Um. Hey, this is my shirt. If you could buy it, that'd be great because all proceeds are paying for uh, my dog's physical therapy. Where do they go to find it? On my Instagram bio, there's a link directly to them. So Easy I'll, enough. I'll plug myself. Yep, and uh, <laughs> your is Instagram uh, yes. handle is been on screen for people watching. Cool. Yeah, it's very easy. My name's weird enough, so uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just me. Yep, that's Jim West. Don't confuse him with the East. That's Aspen Lad. <laughs> Unique name is itself. Helen E. Sports. And you're doing the sign-off? Oh, you could say my name. Dave Schmolinson. Oh, that's so annoying. <laughs> so now you know why Schmo's easier, right? Oh, I tried to spell it out yesterday to someone, and I said S-C-H, and they're typing. And then I was like, M-U-L. They're like, O. I'm like, no, L. They're like, okay. And then they're like, what's his birthday? And I'm like, oh, I'm not done yet. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just keep like, going. E-N-S-O. <laughs> And it's okay. It's been happening to me since I was a kid, since I started going to school, kindergarten. On that, on that note, we're out. <laughs> <laughs>